This is Taekwon Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Drought on Sports Crunch. David Cromwell. Well, the combine is over and the lying and smoke screening have begun in earnest. And in our third edition of our Dash to the Draft series, we have a very special guest that will do his best to help separate the signal from the noise coming out of the combine. He is Eric Galco, one of the best and most well-connected figures in the NFL draft industry. He is the owner, director, and I believe founder of Optimum Scouting, a consulting service that writes scouting reports for several professional football teams and interacts with agents and other important figures in the football world. He also hosts his own podcast called Scanning the Field, a podcast I would highly recommend to all of you, especially those of you who love football, especially during draft season, and he also writes for Sporting News. It was an absolute pleasure meeting Eric down in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, and it is a pleasure to welcome him to the program for the very first time. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great. That's quite the introduction for me. I appreciate all that, and I'm excited to talk some football with you, man. I'm excited to talk some more football with you, Eric. Uh, how was your time in Indy? Did you uh, enjoy those shrimp cocktails as well as uh, getting all the information you could get? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I started with uh, a different restaurant, which I got food poisoning from, so it was not a great start to the NFL combine for me, <laughs> but thankfully, uh, I, I rebounded and we able to do a lot of work while I was down there, but you know, the NFL combine is a lot more than just the place where, you know, players are testing on the field. There's interviews. There's talking at night about draft prospects and character. And, of course, you know, the uh, illegal off-the-record tampering that goes on uh, all night long at the NFL Combine. So there's a lot of action going on in Indianapolis, and it was certainly a busy and productive week. I'm sure it was. And let's begin with arguably the best overall prospect of this draft class and the buzz regarding him coming out of Indy, and that is Saquon Barkley. And there was a lot of chatter that he is going to be highly considered by the Browns to be the first overall pick. But that said, you adamantly predicted on Twitter yesterday that it wouldn't happen. However, there has been some talk from even before the combine that the Giants would draft him at two. And if passed his prologue, that is actually believable given what general manager Dave Gettleman said at the Combine about the devaluation of the running back position being a, quote, myth, plus the fact that he selected Christian McCaffrey at eight overall when he was still with the Panthers last year. Also, the team has been strongly emphasizing since January that they, that they believe that Eli Manning has multiple seasons left. Based on the intel you got from the Combine, which is more likely to happen, the Giants drafting Saquon Barkley at two or the Giants drafting Eli Manning's successor at two? Yeah, I think you framed that really well. And and the question is, I, I think it's less about, there's, I think there's three options there. It's one, do the Giants want to plan for the future five years from now with their next quarterback? And, you know, for the Giants, they're going to tip their hand a lot because if they don't want to re-sign Odell Beckham Jr. to an extension, that means that they want to start rebuilding, right? Odell is kind of a more win-now guy, and I think if they want to re-sign Odell Beckham Jr. and start furthering that process, that means that, hey, they're in win-now mode, that's Eli Manning, and maybe they go with, a running back or something else at two. Conversely, if they are hesitant to re-sign Odell Beckham Jr. and don't spend a lot of money in free agency, try to like you know go without signing offensive linemen like Andrew Nowell or Justin Pugh in free agency, maybe they want to plan for the future. But I think at the end of the day, the number two overall pick will be a quarterback. Saquon Barkley is a special, special talent. But running back, really every position outside of quarterback is really hard to take when a team is going to fight in the draft to move up and get the passer at number two. The Giants don't want one. The Jets, the Broncos, the Bills, the Jaguars, all these teams would love to get their shot at a Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, or Baker Mayfield. I think the value of what they get at the second overall pick, if it's the Buffalo Bills, 
might be as many as three or four first-round picks. If it's the New York Giants, Jets, moving down a few draft spots, maybe collecting another first or second-round pick. So I think the value they can get for that number two overall pick outweighs Saquon Barkley's value of that offense. And, and, hey, the Giants don't have a great running game. That's very obvious. But I think we can all assume that it's the offensive line that's the issue. And one or two signings in free agency isn't going to fix that. So I think it's in the Giants' best interest if they want to move Eli Manning to start soliciting these trade offers, move down from two overall to a team that wants a top quarterback, and hopefully get three or four first-round picks and maybe a player in that trade as well to make their offense better. The Giants are definitely going to be the biggest wild card, arguably, coming up as we approach the draft. And on a recent episode of your podcast, you said you believed there would be eight to ten offensive linemen drafted in the first round. And what intrigues me personally about this offensive line class is this crop of interior offensive linemen. You obviously got Quentin Nelson, arguably the second best overall prospect of this class, Will Hernandez, James Daniels, Billy Price, Austin Corbett, and others. And down in Mobile, I asked an AFC scout if he thought that the guard and center positions are becoming equally as valuable as the offensive tackle position, especially given the presence of guys like Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald, plus the monster defensive tackles expected to enter the NFL via the 2019 draft. And he responded that he thinks they're already equally as valuable. Do you share that view? You know, I think offensive tackles are, when they're, if all things are equal, they're both good players. I think they're all, you know, offensive guards, offensive tackles, the same value to an offense. If you have a good offensive guard and a good offensive tackle, that's going to add the most value. But the difference is that it's much harder to find a capable offensive tackle than an offensive guard in the NFL. And really, it's harder to find a capable offensive tackle than it is a star receiver or a star running back. And that's, I think, the real reason why we're going to see so many offensive linemen go in round one because you look at a guy like Colton Miller, who's been much maligned on social media or in the media as, as far as being maybe a first-run offensive tackle because people see him and they say, hey, nothing special about this guy. And, and the point is that a guy like Colton Miller, if you're a team that needs a starting offensive lineman, I'm not saying a great one, I'm saying a capable starter, that is harder to find than a guy like Calvin Ridley. So that is why teams are going to value this so highly because you can always find running backs later in the draft may not be the same talent level, but it's much more obvious to do that. Receiver, same idea, but you can't find offensive tackles on day three of the draft consistently. You can't rely on those guys to play right away. So capable offensive tackles especially are really hard to find. The Seahawks can tell you they're extremely hard to find anymore. That's why these teams are going to value offensive tackles so highly. So if you can play right or left tackle at an NFL starting level, again, not great, NFL starting level, that's insanely valuable. And that's why, along with a really strong guard class this year of, you mentioned them, Quentin Nelson, Isaiah Wynn, Will Hernandez, Billy Price before his injury, James Daniels, all may be first-round picks. Combine that with the need for NFL teams valuing offensive tackles so highly, along with the fact that contracts for offensive linemen are going through the roof. We're going to see Andrew Nowell and Justin Pugh, two guards, make $12 million or more a year. That's why all these offensive linemen are getting pushed up to round one. It's going to be a fascinating night for offensive linemen in the draft. And so based on what you said, you see like three or four centers or guards being taken in the first round? Yeah, I think Quentin Nelson and Isaiah Wynn uh, are both locks. Billy Price with his injury at the NFL combine is unfortunate. I think there's still a chance he's a first-round pick. And then you've got Will Hernandez, James Daniels. So, yeah, I think th- three interior offensive linemen is very likely, uh, maybe four. And, and then, yeah, that's just guards and centers. What I, I mentioned earlier, Offensive tackles are even more valuable than those guys. So we're going to see a lot of offensive linemen go, again, in conjunction with it's a great offensive line class, especially on the interior, along with teams valuing offensive linemen heavily, especially on the outside of the offensive line. It's a perfect storm this year of teams saying, you know what, 
we can find receivers and running backs later. We'll hope we find the next Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt. But we've got to get a capable start on the offensive line now. Most definitely. And speaking of offensive line, arguably the guy who lost the most money at the Combine was Oklahoma offensive tackle Orlando Brown. He only got in 14 reps at the bench press. He ran one of the worst 40 times in Combine history at 5.86, and he was constantly yelled at by coaches for loafing during the offensive line drills. And this morning, NFL draft analyst Lance Zierlein of NFL.com and NFL Media tweeted out that Brown's drop-down draft boards will, quote, not be a small one, and that more than one team told him that they believe he won't be drafted until the third day. Where do you think Brown ends up getting drafted? Yeah, I think Lance and I were talking to some of the same scouts at the NFL Combine because a few scouts told me the same thing. And, you know, I, I have confidence in my ability to evaluate these guys and project. And, you know, part of the process for me is not just hearing scouts and reporting that, but having that discussion. And we had that discussion, and I said, hey, at the end of the day, if you're a team in the back end of round one and you need an offensive tackle, are you really going to ignore the fact that this guy was a great left tackle for three years at Oklahoma just because he didn't try at the NFL Combine? It obviously looks bad, and that's the real concern is that the first-round picks especially, there's a lot more going on with trust than people on the outside rely on because as an NFL GM, you are graded by your owner, by your ultimate boss, on how you do spending in free agency and on your first and second-round picks. So an NFL GM is going to really wonder – if I invest a first-round pick in this guy, and while well, not as much as quarterback, my job is on the line that this guy fails, that's going to get some hesitation. But that being said, his film is outstanding. NFL teams are really going to grill him in the private interviews, in the private workouts. I'm sure they did at the Combine. I did not talk to any scouts or people who met with him at the Combine after his workout, but I'm sure I'll hear stuff afterwards. But I think he's got a lot of explaining to do. But that film he has at Oklahoma is really impressive. And I think he reminds me a lot of Cordy Glenn. If he can show some of the same athletic testing numbers and great growth by the pro day and earn back some of that success and, and face NFL teams, you know, running a, a sub five, five forty yard dash time, putting up more than 20 reps, kind of hit those baseline numbers again. He can talk to NFL teams, chalk up, say, you know what? I made a mistake. I wasn't prepared. You know, still trust me. I think he still goes someplace in the top 50, 60 picks, but again, NFL teams don't want to miss on first and second round picks. And when a bigger offensive lineman, when it's really hard to stay in shape, if those guys aren't prepared for the biggest aspect of the biggest job interview for their entire life, the NFL Combine, you can't blame teams for being worried. Can't blame them at all. And a position I personally had my eye on during the week was the wide receiver position, and three guys stood out to me. The first was LSU's DJ Chark, one of the MVPs of the Senior Bowl, who you and I both watched down in Mobile, and he likely further increased his draft stock by running a 4-3-4 in the 40. He posted a 40-inch vertical as well as a 129-inch broad jump. Do you see Chark as a top 50 pick right now? Top 50 is tough, uh, but I think he's going to be somewhere in Haken in the first two days of the draft. And I think that's, that's as good as you can ask for for a receiver. And, you know, Chark's a guy that was very explosive but limited, like many LSU receivers over the years, by his offense around him. I think that hurt him a little bit as a prospect, and people didn't really appreciate how dynamic he was. And, you know, certainly I'll, I'll check the receipts. <laughs> I've been a huge DJ Chark fan all year long, but even I wasn't expecting what he would show at the NFL Combine for a guy with his length and his ability to be that explosive and that uh, vertically testing. So I think he, he won't be a first-round pick, but when you're on day two of the draft as a receiver, you're more so hoping to be in the right situation. You know, DJ Chark would rather be a late second-round pick or early third-round pick to the San Francisco 49ers, where he could potentially be the number one receiver, rather than be a late second-round pick to a team that would really value him. So I think for DJ Chark, he should be more excited, and I'm more excited 
to find out where he goes on the day two of the draft. But he's going to go someplace in there. I think it's less about how high he's going to go and more about what team is going to really value him the most. And the 49ers come to mind, the Bears come to mind, as immediate great fits in what their offense wants to do. And hopefully he lands in one of those spots. Yes, and um, whichever one of those teams, or if both of those teams lose the Allen Robinson sweepstakes, I will. I could definitely see one of them taking DJ Chark. But Chark wasn't the only wide receiver named DJ that impressed. DJ Moore of Maryland, he absolutely tore up the combine with a 442-40, 39.5-inch vertical, 132-inch broad jump, and a 4.07-second 20-yard shuttle, plus an 11.18-second 60-yard shuttle. And several on draft Twitter see him as the best wide receiver in this class, period. Do you see him sneaking into the first round? There's a real shot. And I think, you know, coming into the draft class, coming into the NFL Combine, uh, Calvin Ridley was the top overall receiver for pretty much every team I spoke to. And I think his good, not great NFL Combine, Ridley didn't really show as much explosiveness that teams were looking forward to. And again, part of that's because generally Alabama guys, not corners, don't look that good at the NFL Combine. Historically, they've always had you know, guys that are better athletes and better players on film and on the field than they are at the NFL Combine. I think Cal Ridley is another part of that. But D.J. Moore is a guy that now is taking control as maybe the number one receiver in this draft class and for some teams. I think Cal Ridley, Cortland Sutton have been my top two receivers all year long since the preseason. Uh, Cortland Sutton was number one preseason. Now it's Ridley and Sutton. But D.J. Moore proved that he's athletic enough to be an outside guy. And one of the real great uh, – points was brought up to me, and I, I was a big D.J. Moore fan all year, really since his game against Indiana's Rashard fan, who may be a draft pick himself. D.J. Moore absolutely dominated an NFL cornerback in that game. But with D.J. Moore, is you look at his body type, you look at his playing style, and you look to the NFL and you say, you know what, there's not many guys over the last 15 years with his body type and his play style that have worked in the NFL. But I think certainly look at Golden Tate as a great example. Chris Chambers, based on D.J. Moore's athletic testing numbers, those are two guys that D.J. Moore projects to. And while neither one is a star player, I don't think D.J. Moore is going to be a top 15, 20 pick, a star type guy. But he's a great fit for a team in the late first round or a team from round two moving up to get their guy. And I think he's going to be a long-term outstanding number two guy in an offense and wants to be productive. And last but not least, in terms of wide receivers, Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway, despite a whole lot of red flags, um, had a very good week. Uh, his past is very checkered. He was accused yet later cleared of sexual assault in 2016, and he was suspended for the entire 2017 season due to a credit card fraud scandal. However, uh, not only did he impress in workouts, he impressed in the meeting room as well. And it was reported that several teams said that they believed him when he said that having a daughter made him change his ways. When is the earliest you think Antonio Callaway gets drafted? Yeah, you know, I would say early day three. I think teams are going to stay away the first two days of the draft. And, you know, it's hard for me to say that because I've seen guys like Tyreek Hill who have much worse off-field issues and from a small school get drafted in round five. We saw Caleb Brantley who had a outstanding uh, arrest on his record by the time he was drafted. And I think that's a big reason why I would be concerned. I think that guy early on. But NFL teams and in the media has proved it that teams forget this stuff. Immediate people forget this stuff early on in the draft. These guys are taking a little immediate backlash, and then if along those guys play well, they're good. I think the biggest concern for Callaway, sadly, is, is how are teams feel he's going to handle the locker room? Is he going to handle their culture? Is he going to be a repetitive issue moving forward? And it's, it's less about what guys do in the past and more about what teams think they may do in the future. And, and if teams feel Callaway won't be an issue off the field, won't be a culture locker room stuff moving forward, they're willing to overlook this kind of you know really poor past 
that he, you know, that is worrisome entirely that they're okay to move on from that. So I think Callaway has a great chance to be an early day three pick. And really, by the time Saturday comes around, teams are willing to move on from character issues and just take the best guys. Callaway will definitely be a guy that I personally will be tracking these next several months as uh, stuff leaks out. And another big winner from Combine Week was Penn State tight end Mike Jasicki, another guy that you and I saw down at the Senior Bowl. And today, draft analyst Trevor Sikama, forgive me if I mispronounced that name, and he writes for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers website, pewterreport.com, he tweeted out that Jasicki's numbers were better across the board than David Njoku's last year, and in some categories were significantly better. How likely is it that Jasicki is the first tight end taken off the board? Very unlikely. I don't think it'd be the first tight end taken. Hayden Hurst will claim that role in South Carolina, but, but really, it's not a great tight end class overall, and the NFL is in a weird spot, I think, at the position because, you know, this is more of a longer discussion, but in the late late 90s, early 2000s, teams were still in a lot of heavy personnel, a lot of two tight ends, using a fullback, you know, not really evaluating, you know, three receivers was kind of a, an oddity out there, and, you know, having an athlete like a Jimmy Graham or at the time Kellen Winslow or Tony Gonzalez who could play slot receiver was, you know, mind-blowing. And then in the mid-2000s, we saw a lot more of these athletes at tight end, these versatile running backs splitting out in these you know, matchup nightmares, as they were called. That's kind of was the vote back in the 2000s. But now, talking to NFL position players and, and coaches, the values, again, is moving away towards that, more towards guys who can be position versatile and tight ends who can legitimately block in line and play in the slot. Running backs who can play in the slot or a tight end like Jalen Samuels, who could do a lot of things. And I worry about Jasicki because he's such a poor blocker that now he's basically, for NFL teams, a receiver. And you can't put him in line. He's incapable of doing that, at least for the first two, three years. So, you think of Jasicki as more of a wide slot receiver tight end, and that's valuable to some teams, but not every down, not every play, maybe only 60% of your snaps. So I think finding a home for Jasicki is going to be tough early in the draft, whereas a guy like Hayden Hurst, even a mid-round guy like Adam Brenneman, who's gotten better as a blocker, can add more value than Mike Jasicki does. So I think Jasicki has a great chance to be a, a day-two guy and maybe a guy that teams can start to work with as a pass blocker and a run blocker, but as right now, he's not there yet, and teams are going to be hesitant, especially ones that run a lot of no huddle, which is about a third of the league now, running at least 10% of no huddle. It's going to be really hard to value Jasicki too much. That is a very good point, Eric. Teams are going to really penalize Jasicki for his inabilities as a blocker at the moment. And now let's shift to the defensive side of the ball and talk about the most inspiring story, not just at this combine, but maybe any combine or any draft I've ever paid attention to, and that is Shaquem Griffin. He showed the entire world that if you still doubt him because he lost one of his hands due to a rare birth defect, do so at your own peril. He got in 20 reps on the bench press and ran the same 40 time as his twin brother Shaquille did last year, 4.38 to be exact, despite being more than 30 pounds heavier than his twin brother. And another colleague of yours, Dane Brugler, tweeted out that he believes that Griffin's combine performance puts him squarely in the conversation to be selected within the top 100 picks. Do you agree? I think he's got a great chance to now. And, you know, even after his season was over in the last game when UCF, the national champions of college football, beat Auburn in that game, he was already going to be a draft pick. Uh, Shaquem Griffin has been one of the college football's best special teams player the last two seasons. And that's really important because teams are going to see that. They already knew his story. They knew the kind of person he was. And I knew a team back then was going to draft him, even if it was the sixth, seventh round, to make sure he was selected. And, and hey, uh, Morris Bowringer, a German receiver, was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in round six because Mike Mayock asked him to. I, I think Shaquem Griffin would have been drafted no matter what with his story and his background. But the NFL Combine and the Senior Bowl before that, 
so that Griffin can play in linebacker in space. They put him at safety at the Senior Bowl. I'm not sure he's able to play that at the NFL level because of his disability, but he showed the ability to play maybe a third safety or a nickel safety in the NFL. And all of those traits combined with the fact that he ran a 4.38, the fastest time ever for a linebacker at his size in the NFL Combine, tying, as you mentioned, his brother, who he's 23 pounds heavier than from last year's Combine, put up 20 bench reps at 225. I don't think in my entire life, cumulatively, with two hands, I've put up 20 reps at 225. So this kid is a remarkable story. But the biggest reason why I think teams are so excited about him is that he's really a genuine guy. And I told one scout told me, they said, even if he didn't have this disability, we would still want this guy on our team. Despite, regardless of the story, which I think teams and scouts have to really put aside, and they do, this guy is a guy you want on your team just because of his personality. Not because of his perseverance, although that's part of him now, really his personality. So all that to say, he's a little bit position question mark. Is he a safety? Can he play there with his disability? Is he a linebacker, though he's a bit undersized? But I think some team in round three or four is going to make a real shot on him. And I think he's worthwhile there, too. And I think for teams, just figure it out later. He's a nickel linebacker slash nickel safety. He can play a little hybrid stuff. He can cover in press coverage. He can work on the inside. I think it's, we'll kind of figure out his spot later on. But talent-wise, he deserves to be a third, fourth-round pick. And I think one or two teams will consider him there. I completely agree with everything you just said about Shaquib Griffin, and I've shared this story before to our listeners, but I want to add to the story a little bit here. I asked Shaquib Griffin, and you mentioned about how genuine he is. I asked him a question at the introductory press conference of the Senior Bowl. I asked him if there was any advice he would give kids with any kind of disability, and he um, just responded with, dare I say, the quote of the century. He said, quote, it's not a disability unless you make it one. And I just immediately hollered back, amen. And then after the press conference, I approached this scout who I had met earlier in the day, and I said, you have to draft that guy. You have to draft that guy. He'd be so valuable to your team. Even though I'm not a scout, I'm not an X's and O's guy, I'm not a film nerd, or I don't pretend to be one, but I just uh, I just kind of see something special in him. That's all I wanted to say to our listeners there. Yeah, I can't blame you for that. And he's you know, talking to him immediately. You, you almost forget his story, which is the best part about it. And, you know, he's not defined by what his disability is, and he's willing to talk about it, and he's, he treats it like it's just a regular thing. And I think that's the coolest part about him is that, you know, this sounds you know, maybe negative, but some guys who have a reason to have a chip on their shoulder, they come across that way, right? They feel like they, you know, have to, they've been doubted their whole life, and, and that's kind of a hurdle on their back. Shaquem's not like that. He knows what he's dealt with. He's never been mad about it. He's never let it limit him, and that's why he's a great person, a great player. And, you know, I think teammates and people at the Senior Bowl and NFL Combine, like he immediately got their respect. He immediately got their respect, not because of what he's overcome, but because of who he is as a person. So I think NFL team's going to recognize that and say, you know what, even if he's a great special teamer, having this guy in our locker room is going to make our team better. Amen to all of that, Eric. And for, also for the record, I am mostly a fantasy football type guy, which means I mostly pay attention to offensive players uh, come draft. So I didn't quite pay as much attention to the defensive players this week as I should have. But uh, basically speaking, aside from Griffin, which other defensive players made the most money at the Combine this past week? Yeah, all the defensive backs. I mean, we had nine guys run 4-4 in the 40 or less uh, just among defensive backs. Last year we had 10 guys total across the whole Combine that did that. So really the defensive backs figured out how to run the 40-yard dash, and a lot of great athletes were there too. Um, I think Denzel Ward and, and Dante Jackson, two guys we expected to be fast and probably top two-round picks. Certainly Ward is going to be a top-ten pick. We're expected, but Perry Nickerson, cornerback from Tulane, 
really impressed. And and the four three two forty, he was fast on film, and he kind of showed that again at the combine. That's the combine's for is when teams may think you're fast or think you're a good athlete, and then you prove it to them and shove it in their face. That's what get guys like Perry Nickerson, who is a bit undersized, who was a little bit forgotten about on a bad Tulane team. Now again, he's being talked about as maybe a top four, maybe three round draft pick, and he also put up 15 reps at 225. That's impressive for a guy who's a 5'10", 180-pound, you know, maybe less than that playing weight in the NFL. I think it's really impressive for him, too. So he's the one cornerback among all the defensive backs that stood out to me as a guy that really impressed. And then I think a lot of defensive backs like Harold Landry, uh, like Leon Jacobs of Wisconsin, both two other defensive uh, linemen and linebacker, respectively, that impressed the combine. Yes, and another guy that some on Twitter were impressed with was Alabama's Deron Payne. And Deron Payne is a confusing uh, prospect because most of this year his uh, tape was rather underwhelming, according to many. But uh, during the college football playoff and the bowl game in the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma, he absolutely was on fire. And he continued that momentum at the combine by putting up some uh, pretty good numbers. What is your impression on Deron Payne, and do you think he sneaks into the first round? Oh, I think he's a first-round pick for sure, and, and I think Alabama has certainly proved that they have defensive linemen every year worthy of round-one picks. And even last year, Dalvin Tomlinson, defensive tackle from Alabama, now with the New York Giants, proved he probably should have been a first-round pick in the draft. But I think for Payne, and talking to some teams about this as well, including I was at an Alabama game this year, the best part about Payne is that he's not done being good yet. And this is a guy who has a lot of ports in his game. He's flashy. He's not there yet, but the effort and the motor is always there for a 300-plus pound nose tackle, three technique, wherever you want to play him. And when you see an effort like that with a guy that size, and we talked about Orlando Brown earlier, who didn't show a lot of movement, I think Deron Payne has always shown on film that he's a high-energy, high-active guy, looks good as well as he could have for a guy his size in drills to come, but I actually watched all the D-line drills that day, and I think the best thing can come for Deron Payne. And when teams see that, that's what gets teams excited. That's what coaches, when they get involved in the draft process, which is right around now, they watch that guy's film and they say, I can make him a star. And that's what teams want to find. It's not about what you did in college necessarily, but can you get better? And that's one thing I always focus on and our staff always focus on a lot from scouting is don't worry about who the guy is. Figure out what his issues are and determine as best you can if they're easily fixable or not easily fixable. And for Deron Payne, all of his issues are easily fixable. He's going. He has a high motor and a high effort all the time on film, and he's built the part as, as well as being from Alabama. All signs point to me a great player. That's why we're going to overrate him a little bit on our draft board, knowing that he's going to be a better pro than college player. I think he ends up being a top forty. I'm sorry, top twenty, twenty-five pick. He is Eric Yackel, ladies and gentlemen, of Optimum Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter at Optimum Scouting. He's one of the best resources for all things NFL draft and all things football. Eric. I just can't say thank you enough for donating your time and your extraordinary knowledge of what's going on in the football world to our program today. But before we go, um, I want some uh, early predictions from you on how this quarterback carousel will shake out in this draft. And the, and the amount of quarterbacks available is what makes this draft class arguably one of the most intriguing uh, in years. And start with Sam Darnold. Where do you think he goes? I think Sam Darnold doesn't get past the first overall pick in the draft to the Cleveland Browns. There's some people in the league that feel that Josh Allen is in play. I'll believe it when I see it. And if I talk to anybody else, I'll be sure to come back on here and, and rebut that a little bit. But I think Sam Darnold's the first overall pick. I think in three, four years, we'll realize that, yep, he's the best quarterback this class had to offer. Exactly. And how about Josh Rosen? I think Josh Rosen's second overall pick. Um, he has a chance to fall a little bit just in case the teams are a little worried about him, but uh, I've been told, convinced 
that Josh Rosen will not be the Browns pick at first overall. Uh, but I think the Giants at two make a lot of sense for um, for Josh Rosen. But I think more importantly, teams moving up in the draft to get a pro-ready guy like Josh Rosen is really where it gets exciting. Whether it's the Denver Broncos, if they lose out on Kirk Cousins, the Buffalo Bills, who like Josh Rosen a lot and have the assets to move up in the draft. Maybe a few other teams like the New York Jets who want to win right away. Those are the teams I think make a lot of sense for Josh Rosen. So I think he'll be the second quarterback taken. I don't think to the New York Giants, but I think he goes second overall. That's what a lot of people believe as well, if not most. And how about Baker Mayfield? Baker Mayfield's a little more of a wild card than people want to say right now. And I think that talking to scouts, some people say, yep, he's good, but I'm not sure if we're going to take him that early. Or teams worry that he's not a first-round pick. I was surprised he left the NFL Combine. I certainly value Baker Mayfield a lot. And from scouting, we think he's the second or third best quarterback in this class. But if Denver just goes on the direction or they don't believe in him quite yet, the Jets are maybe his best team in the top 10 overall picks. And I know people have Lincoln Baker Mayfield to Miami. People I know in Miami, I'd be really surprised to see that. Adam Gase and that coaching staff is on the hot seat now. And it's hard to take a quarterback in round one when you have to make the playoffs to keep your job. So unless they feel Baker Mayfield is their crowning jewel and they're willing to bite the bullet on, on Ryan Tannehill, the Dolphins going elsewhere. So I think Baker Mayfield is more of a wild card than we think. I think the Jets at six, though, is where he makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what Mark Schofield said on this program the other day. And how about another potential wild card in Josh Allen? Josh Allen, quarterback Josh Allen. I think he's got three teams in mind uh, that make a lot of sense for him. First, I think the Giants, if they move back, let's say with the New York Jets, they may say, you know, let's go get Josh Allen too if we want. I think that's probably asking a lot to trade back if you want a quarterback. But the Giants make some sense if they want to plan for the future and get a guy behind Eli Manning and they don't want to pick a number two overall, that can make some sense. But I think more likely I've circled three teams that make a lot of sense for Josh Allen. One is the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens want to move up from Joe Flacco. I've been told and I'm convinced they will take a quarterback in this draft in the top three or four rounds no matter what. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers make a lot of sense. Again, they haven't found their heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger, Josh Dobbs. Not that guy. I think they're looking for a quarterback if they can move up. And then finally, the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars re-signed Blake Bortles, but really restructured, only gave him about $2 million more over the life of his contract. So I know people think they gave him an extension. It was really more of a, of a renegotiation of what he was already going to make. The Jaguars want to move quarterback to the future, whether that's Mason Rudolph in round two or Mike White in round four, or it's Josh Allen in round one moving up in the draft with the Chiefs that a year ago. I think all those options are in play for, uh, for Josh Allen. Yes, and you mentioned the Ravens. Do you think they'd be willing to trade up into the top five or seven to get Allen if they're completely sold on him? Yeah, I think the real place I've been circling for Josh Allen, if he gets past the Jets at six, which for Jets fans, God, hope they do pass on Josh Allen. I think the ninth overall pick with the 49ers is where he ends up going. And the Niners are going to be big spenders in free agency. They've got more cap space to know what to do with. And John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have proven that they – are willing to move around the draft. They traded both their picks uh, a year ago to move up and down the draft board and, and get the most value. And the 49ers know that their timeline to be a Super Bowl contender is not for two or three more years. They want more draft picks. And one of the benefits of being a team, especially in the top ten picks, that doesn't need a quarterback is that there is always a team looking at a quarterback. And until the top four quarterbacks are off the board, the Niners will have trade partners. And I think they eventually move out. The Baltimore Ravens and a lot of teams like that could, could be a good fit for them. Completely agree there. And Lamar Jackson, where do you think uh, he ends up? Yeah, based on what I've been told, I think he is, I wouldn't say more likely than not, but 
the most likely team for Lamar Jackson is the New Orleans Saints, and I think they're a great fit for him. Sean Payton wants to kind of re reinvent his offense after Drew Brees is done or just at least set the program up for the future if Drew Brees and Sean Payton both decide to retire in the next year or two. But, you know, really the question for Lamar Jackson, which I don't know the answer to yet, is supply and demand. Is how many teams really want Lamar Jackson in round one. I think teams are excited by his potential, but, you know, much is made of Josh Allen's completion percentage. But Lamar Jackson isn't great either. I think teams, both teams have a really concern about how both those guys are going to adapt from kind of the issues they had at the college level. I think that you look no further than Lamar Jackson's game against NC State. And, you know, sure, every quarterback's allowed a bad game or two, but that game against NC State is really worrisome because he was facing NFL athletes throughout the game and really looked uncomfortable throughout it. So I think Lamar Jackson's a tough figure to figure out for a lot of NFL teams, and it's easy to follow him up with his highlights. But when you're drafting a quarterback in round one and even early round two, as a GM, once you make that pick, your job is on, on the line uh, and the clock starts. And I think you make a mistake on a Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen or a Sam Donald, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, you're out of a job. And I think that's why teams are a little hesitant on Lamar Jackson. They should be more hesitant on Josh Allen. Hopefully they are on draft day. I think for Lamar Jackson, he's got more worrisome people. I think the most important thing is I don't know how interviews went for all of these quarterbacks. I'm excited to hear feedback from scouts in the next few weeks. But if Lamar Jackson ace interviews, like I heard one scout said, he did a really good job. Maybe he ends up being a first-round pick. I think the Saints are the most likely team. Eric Alco, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us once again, and we hope to have you back on the program sometime down the road. Look forward, man. I appreciate it. We appreciate you as well, Eric, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But we will be back early next week to preview NFL free agency with my good friend and NFL insider Eric Trickle, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive, including all the interviews I conducted at the Senior Bowl, as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Eric, especially since there's never an off-season for talking football. For Eric Galco, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.